following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We're going to talk about uh, something that we should never consider a task in our life. Um, I think that we sell it short when we even refer to it as a spiritual discipline. Um, we're going to talk about prayer this morning. As we continue in our journey through the book of Acts, we're in chapter 18, the first eight verses, and, and we're going to talk about like why it's so important that we remain steadfast in prayer. And, uh, and, and, and listen, like, there's a lot of things we need to hear straight from the source, right? Like it's so important. Like how, how awesome is it? How ideal is it for us to hear about prayer from God himself? Like, and then for Jesus who came to show us the father, right? To, to embody, to, to be, uh, you know, when you've seen him, he's the exact imprint. Hebrews one says, you know, Jesus himself said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. Um, and, and who better to tell us how to pray, to teach us how to pray? It's, it's incredible that in Luke chapter one, verse one, the, the, the only thing we ever see the disciples ever ask Jesus to do, it says, teach us to pray. Now, I believe the reason for that is they saw that that's where he found his strength and his, his resolve and, you know, and, and, and ours too, that we will grow faint. We will grow weary. If we don't remain steadfast in prayer, we find our strength on our knees. So often we, 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 we want to put our confidence in what we're able to do and accomplish. And, and oftentimes when we face dilemma, circumstance or struggle, you know, it's, it's our, it's our instinct, right? To lean on our own understanding, to, to put our hope in, as the prophet said, in chariots and horses, in, in, in human strength. When the truth is, the truth is, our strength is found on our knees in a humble posture, acknowledging that he is able to do anything that we ask of him. And we can trust him that when uh, the, the things, the desires that we have are not accomplished in the time that we have, we can trust that he is good and that his ways are better and so often different from ours. Right. And so um, I want to remind us of some passages. I think it's so important that we always um, that we always read the scriptures in context of the totality of scripture, that that way we don't ever wander off into false interpretation or teaching um, that it, it should always resonate with the with other scripture, but also with the heart of God, with the with the with the character of God. Uh, James often is, uh, you know, kind of thematically, you know, thought of as a book that talks about the importance of, of, of works, that genuine faith works and works without deeds are dead. Um, but it's interesting. Now, this is the first letter written to the saints. Right, the first New Testament letter that was written to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, and and opening opening thoughts are talking to them about various trials that they're facing, that it's a very hard season for the church, and uh, and in the midst of that, um, as he says, you know, he says, you know, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So by all means, he is trying to encourage the church to, re- to remain um, steadfast in, in the midst of trials with the mindset that like God is good at working all things together for good. We can believe that the, even the trials as we trust him have the purpose of maturity and strengthening us. But then verse five and verse five says this it says, if any of you lacks wisdom and if we keep that in context, he's talking about the wisdom of how to count it joy. In tra- Is it difficult to count it joy in the midst of trials in life? Right. When you're when you're facing persecution and all the other many trials that he's describing there. Um, and the very next thing he says is. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom about how to do this, ask God who gives generously without finding fault to all who ask. But you must believe 
and not doubt because then you're just like a wave that's tossed and turned and don't don't believe that you'll receive anything you're a double-minded man and unstable in all your ways but that's not the only moment that that the, the letter of james speaks to prayer like we see in chapter four he says that you know you have not because you ask not well, that, that's probably speaking to like one of the important principles in prayer. Like we, we have to ask. God wants us to petition his heart on the things that we need. He knows. We're told Jesus tells us he knows, but he wants us to come before him in prayer and ask. And then we're told in that same chapter, we're told that that you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend it on your own pleasure. Right now, that'll kind of challenge our prayer life a little bit, right? Like that our, our motives need to be in line with his, that our heart and, and truly it's not about, go, prayer shouldn't be about going to God to get what we want, but, but going to God to get him, like for him to impart his heart to us because he's the true, true treasure and the gift that we long for. Later in chapter five, it talks about like that the righteous person, like their prayers, come to fruition they they availeth much right there's great fruitfulness in 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 the righteous prayer and and then we need to be reminded in that moment that that the righteousness of christ has been imputed to us by faith and that we can come before the throne of grace with confidence so in this passage and one of what i love about jesus is you know he's just trying to show us the father so let me ask you a question is there is there any difference that transpired from the old covenant to the new covenant? Did, you, did Jesus change anything? Or did he change everything? Right? Like, so like the perception that we see here that Jesus is addressing in the Jewish culture of the first century was that God was obscure and distant. That he was, he was someone that you had to beat down to get what you want. That, that, that somehow we might be bothering him, that he was this just judge that didn't have any sort of respect for humanity, right? And, and, and that might not be your, your, your New Testament perception, but this is what Jesus is speaking into. And he uses contrast so often in the midst of his parables in order to help us to understand that his father is not like us. Right. Like a lot of times we think of God as being the best version of us in different characteristics. That's not true. He's so much better. He's so, so, so much better than the greatest version of the greatest person that could ever, you know, celebrate or, or, or validate any attribute. And, and Jesus is trying to help us when it comes to prayer here to understand like that there's a difference now. Okay. I use this as a backdrop. Um, in, in, uh, in chapter 11 of the same gospel in, in Luke, you know, they asked Jesus, they asked Jesus to teach him to pray. And he says this, when you pray, pray this. And you know this from, from Matthew 6, 9 through 13 as well. He said, our father in heaven, oh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In contrast to my kingdom and my will, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily needs, our, our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our sins, our iniquities, as, as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. He said, when you pray, pray this. Now, I just want to kind of, for a moment, grasp the opening segment of this, this prayer, like that. And what I've grown to know after over 35 years of, of, of praying and thinking and teaching through this prayer is like, it's just become more and more like, this is the perfect prayer. This is ideal. Like, this is exactly what we need to be asking for. And he opens up with, and I know I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating, is he opens up with our father. Do you know to first century Jewish ears how crazy a statement that is? And he's literally sharing this with his disciples. And in, in the case of the Sermon on the Mount, there were a crowd that had gathered. 
And he is, he is saying that, that this, this God is now going to be so close and he's going, he's going to adopt us in, in and through the work of the cross, which they couldn't understand at that moment. But, but now I, he's going to be your dad. He's like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to relate to him as father. He's inviting you into the family. He wants you to know him in intimate terms and he wants you to relate to him in ways that, um, that an ideal father, right, would be relatable. And, and, uh, and in the midst of, of what he, can you imagine like Jesus who knows his father perfectly is, is one with him, mind, heart, spirit, purpose, like, is wanting us to know his father's disposition. So here's a question for you. Do you think that knowing the father's heart, disposition, attributes, character, does that make any difference when we're praying? I'd say it makes all the difference. Because, okay, so when you're talking to someone and you're asking, I mean, think about the things that we ask of God to do that are, and, and we should, because it's well within his word and his, his, his will, if we're praying according to his word and his power. Um, but to, to come to him, like he wants, like, do we exercise faith when we pray? Think about it. Like when we pray and, you know, how, how we pray and what we pray for and, and how we relate to him and how we ask and then rest in that ask, you know, makes, makes huge faith statements, right? So here Jesus uses a contrast between a widow who we'll discuss in detail that has no husband, obviously. This is the point he's making. No status is of great need is in a, a, a mode of lack, right? Like there's this individual and then there's this judge who has no fear of God, right? And no respect for man. And, and she, so she's having to try to beat him down in order to get justice, advocacy on her behalf. Let's read the text together. This, this is in Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And he, the Lord Jesus, now who is speaking to his disciples, we see that earlier in uh, chapter 17, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect or chosen ones? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So why does Jesus intentionally use a widow in this parable? Keep in mind, this is a, this is a, a story or illustration that meant, that it's meant to illustrate heavenly principle or, or, or to depict the Father, or, you know, things that are true in glory. And, um, so why would Jesus intentionally use a widow in this parable? They were one of the neediest members of society. Caring for them has always been high on God's list. We see that. In the Old Testament, we see that in, we're, we're told that that's what in, in the latter part of, or in James chapter one, that that's what true religion is. Orphans and widows caring for them and keeping one from um, being unstained by the world. But why else is Jesus, Jesus intentionally using a widow here? In the first century, widows' voices were often unheard. Keep in mind that in this context, what Jesus is using as an illustration, there wasn't courthouses. 
So these were tents that moved into different places around uh, the Jewish nation, and uh, they would show up, and then there would be those that petitioned to be on the docket, and uh, and then they would be given an audience with a judge that would hopefully give them justice in their scenario. And if you are a a widow, you are on the peripheral of those expectations, of those opportunities. And so, you know, her voice, her voice was not one to be. And Jesus is intentionally using a widow here to help us to understand something very important. Usually, what would you think of the moment that you, you realize Jesus is using a widow? The first thing that you would draw in association with that is, is that she has no husband, right? And, and because of that, no advocacy. And man, as I was studying through this, that is one of the things that leapt off the page. Guys, for, for us, he's talking to the disciples here. For us that are in Christ, those that have, that have the elect, the children, like those that are his, do you know that you have a husband and you have advocacy? Do you know that? Like one of the most beautiful things about prayer is this, is we're told now as those that are in Christ, that we have, we have the mediation, the advocacy of Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, making petition for us on our behalf. Right? That, can you imagine? Like our, our bridegroom is seated with the Father and his accusations are brought before the throne. We are, we are cleansed. We are, Jesus is, says, I died for that. I covered that. And is, is continually, and then the other benefit is this, as we see in Romans chapter 8, is that the Holy Spirit, and the other gift that we have is the Holy Spirit is actually helping us to pray in accordance to God's will. Helping us. Like we have total advocacy that is, that is heartfelt and intimate. And we have a spirit within us that's given us words that that our groans can't even articulate. And then what I love about what it states for us in Romans 8 is this, and that it's by God's design, by God's spirit's desire, he longs and helps us to refer to God as what? Abba, Father, Abba, Abba. Like, so, you know, back to the Lord's Prayer again. One of the things that, that Jesus is always trying to help us to understand about prayer is, is that we have been drawn, we have been brought near. Like, he starts off with saying, our Father. The Holy Spirit is, is helping us to understand this God-designed desire that you're, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're mine. And and let me ask you a question this morning, because this is really at the heart of this passage. It's like, does it make a difference that we're talking to not just God, but our father? And that he's not just the ideal father, he's perfect. And that he loves you. And he demonstrated that love when Christ, yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, like he, has he shown his love for you? Has he shown what he's willing to go, the extent he's willing to go to in order to, to bridge that divide, to, to get, to bring you back close to him? And one of the things that Jesus is helping us to understand is you're not widow. You're not abandoned. You're not voiceless. Uh, you're, you're not, you're not obscure. You're near. You're close. You're mine. Right. And 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 you can talk to me. That's why I think it's so important that we understand, like it matters how we perceive God. It matters what we know about him to be true, because we will pray with that connotation. Does that make sense? And when we know him for how he's declared himself and who he really is, like and what Jesus is, is beckoning us in this parable, then we know we can come into his with confidence and boldness and we can crawl up in our daddy's lap and we can, we can put our needs and our hearts in his hands and, and we can, we can rest that he, he's going to do what's right and good and kind and, and benevolent and perfect. Like, like, 
he wants us to have this, this beautiful relationship that's not trying to beg God to get God to do what you want or to beat him down or, or to perceive that he's bothered by your persistent presence. Like, do you know, do you know what he went through in order to make that possible? And he wants you, he wants you to come close and he wants you to do it in, in a way that's, that's consistent. And it's, it's a conversation that just, that, that just continues to have a dialogue about your heart and your needs and your, and, and puts, puts your faith and confidence in what we're asking for. If any of you lacks wisdom, just ask. And God gives generously to those who, who have faith, who believe. And so, what, the, the widow symbolizes the perception of the first century culture that when it comes to prayer, we must petition like this because we have no voice or status. We must become a perceived annoyance. We must beat God down to get our perceived justice. Is that true? No, Jesus is saying it's the, it's the opposite of that. That, that is not the heart, the disposition. And, and when we are told that, and we, especially on the other side of the cross, like that, it's like, yeah, I need to hear that. I need to hear that, that God wants me to come into his presence, that God longs to hear like what he already knows about my, my needs and concerns because he wants me to know. And that's how I learn to know his heart and his intentions and his character and his will. Right. Those things are so important. So it opens up and he told them a parable to to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, a lot of times we jump into parables and we make assumptions based on perceived uh, ingredients or elements in the in the in the parable. But Jesus is always so faithful to give us exactly what he's trying to teach us about that parable, especially when he's talking to his disciples. So let's not miss this statement right from the go. Like this is what he says. Um, He's telling them this parable. Why? That they may always pray and not lose heart. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that you would pray and lose heart in what you're asking for. Okay, like, cause that's what we would quickly jump to. But what he's saying is, is that you would grow faint, grow weary, right? That, that you would tire in your journey with him. So, like, what, what we're meant to understand is, like, is it invigorating? <laughs> like, think about this, guys. Is it invigorating to know God and to know that he's your father and that he loves you? Is that, is that invigorating? Is that encouraging? Is it encouraging to know that he wants you to come in and be close and, and to hear your heart so that you might know his? Like, isn't there strength to be found on our knees? Isn't there strength to be found? Like, and you know, this morning in our study, um, it, it was good because, because, uh, Alex brought up, um, Isaiah 40. Verses 30 and 31, you know, those who wait or hope or trust upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount upon wings like eagles. They will, they will run and not grow and they will walk and not grow. That's exactly what the word is saying here. That's the word faint, grow weary. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that another way that we don't grow weary is to, is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And, uh, and to consider what he did for us, right? So that, so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. But here, Jesus is saying and teaching us this parable. And so, like, we have to keep it in line with what he's trying to teach us is that he's saying we need to pray so we don't get weary. Let me share some thoughts that I had about this. Here's what Jesus wants his, his listeners to know and to understand. Prayer is how we don't lose heart. Have you ever felt like giving up? Anybody? Thank you, because here's both my hands. Have you ever felt like giving up? Pray. That's what he's saying. Pray. Go to the one, 
the lover of your soul. Go to the one that can, that can, that can, that can, that can invigorate a weary heart. Can, can I just ask a practical question? When, when you get tired and weary, lonely, angry, like, um, where do you go? Like, just, just being honest. Uh, you don't have to, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, say anything, but, but like, let, let, be honest with, like, what, what is your legacy? What is your history? Like, when, when, when you feel shallow, empty, broken, weary, tired, faint, what is, what is your, what, what, what has been your resume? What do you, what do you tend to do there? Because a lot of us will go to things that we think are going to resolve, you know, it might be alcohol, right? In some cases, that I see that a lot with folks, right? But but the list is long of of idols that that don't satisfy, that really don't. Jesus is saying, look, know my Father's heart, know that He wants you near, and rather than grow weary, stay continual. In prayer, maintain this this beautiful, heartfelt conversation and dialogue with the Father, because that's where our strength comes from. Does that make sense? Have you ever felt like giving up? Pray. Have you ever felt like giving in? <laughs> giving in. Pray. Have you ever lost hope? Pray. Have you ever gotten weary in the battle? Anybody? Pray. Jesus just finished describing his demise and return in chapter 17. Guys, these aren't just chap. This is a letter. This is, there's chronology here. And this is not, there's no breaks here. Jesus just finished talking about his demise and his return. And the very next thing, so we don't, like this is huge. The very next thing he wants to talk to them about it's prayer. That's not a coincidence. Right? Like as, as things get dark and difficult, when life becomes tumultuous and dry, like he is saying like, but he's also saying that if we maintain this, this glorious conversation with the Lord, that we, if we stay in a posture of prayer, that it's going to battle the weariness, the faintness of life. Does does is life hard? Can it be weary? Right? And and let me ask you a question again personally. How's your prayer life? How's how's your time in prayer with the Lord? Right? Like and and you'll find that the the, the saints that are the the strongest or the the less likely to lose heart are those that are are, are walking with the Lord, abiding in prayer. We're told in First Thessalonians 5, verse 17, what? What does it say? It's, very, it's probably the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. Pray continually, or some might say pray without ceasing, right? What does that mean? Like, should we keep our eyes closed and walk around? By, no, like, but it, but it means that we're having this constant conversation in our heart and in our minds with the Lord. And there are times like Jesus when, you know what, no matter what's pressing, no matter what the, the, the expectations and the schedule demands are, Jesus just at moments just said, no, I, it's, it's of higher priority right now that I spend time with the Father because that's where my strength comes from. And so Jesus just described the dark context they would face and gives them the necessary discipline to not lose heart. He says, pray. He says, pray. Prayer is where we find our perspective, our hope, and our strength. Prayer is where the Lord imparts his heart and his power. If our prayer life is weak, so will we. That's basically what he's saying. Do you have a constant conversation with the Lord? Luke 18, verse 2 through 5, continues and says this. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This is meant to be a total contrast to our Heavenly Father, right? And there is a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversaries. 
You know, um, God does not want us. Please hear this. He does doesn't want us to have a widow mentality as in in our coming to him. Does that make sense? I hope that that's click because that's that's been so refreshing to me this week. He wants us to know that you have status. You're my child. You know, I died to purchase you back. Jesus is saying, you're my bride. You know, there, there's intimacy here. There's, and think about, like, think about this. Like what Jesus did to purchase you, to, to tear the veil from heaven to earth and to make total access to his presence. Like, does that not declare his desire and his hope and his want for you to be in his presence and would it doesn't it seem to some degree and please i'm not trying to issue guilt here i'm just saying like doesn't it seem to some degree that when we don't fully abide and and take and take advantage of that privilege that's in somehow we're we're not we're not appreciating the cross and what it's accomplished for us like can i tell you this morning that god is not bothered by your coming ever and that he's in a posture to give you speedily justice and mercy. I mean, like he's the prodigal father that's on the horizon that is just so excited about your homecoming. And, and when you do, with a heart of repentance, a servant mentality, like just acknowledging that I'm your dad and, and it's better at my house than it is in the far off land, like, do you not know? Isn't it so encouraging to know that our father's disposition is, come home, I love you. I'll throw a party if you do. I'll restore you. I'll refresh you in my presence. And man, when it comes to this moment, like we're, what we're trying to be, you know, Jesus is trying to remind us of is that God is, God is not bothered by our requests. He's, he, the frequency of our coming is completely opposite to how this judge res- responds to that. He is he is delighted, right? Now let me let me be clear here, because if you're reading the Old Testament, you, you're going to find that you know, especially in the Psalms, it's like, oh please, are, uh, is this falling on deaf ears? You know, like hear my cry, like. But that that's why I opened up with this statement. Has anything changed from the Old to New Testament? Right, like you, you're. You are his. You've been purchased. You've been redeemed. You've been ransomed. You've been made his own. Like everything's changed. Like you've been given access to his presence that your sin is no longer accounted for. That was the great divide, the separation, the the thing that kept you at a distance. Jesus dealt with that so that we could be close. And don't you know that in any relationship, Communication is vital. And healthy communication, frequent communication, lends so tremendously to healthy relationship. And and God has done everything that's necessary. All you know what our part in this is? It's just to come. It's just to stay there. We we struggle to come and we struggle to stay. Right. But but that's what and that's where life is. That's where our hope gets restored and refreshed and we get reminded. That's where our strength comes from. Now, this this can turn into kind of uh, a routine. Right. Can is prayer ever have the potential to turn into a routine and something that is kind of especially if you're like reciting stuff like the Lord's Prayer if it's if if it's not like if it's not thought through and intentional and heartfelt like we we got to be careful can that can that happen in relationships where where communication can becomes kind of rote and and that's what we have to understand that our heavenly father knows our heart anyway and just wants us to be authentic and honest and real and transparent and genuine and repetitive and like, but he he's, he wants us near. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news this morning that 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 he's not this this judge that's aloof and at a distance, 
that he is, that he is, he's intimate with our needs and that you're not a bother to him and you don't have to beat him down to get what you want. And like, that's what Jesus is trying to overcome from a first century Jewish mindset here. I have to be honest. I don't even know where I left off. So, and there was a widow, verse three. I'll just go with four. Okay, good. For, for a while he refused. Like it says this judge refused. Um, so can I, can I share this, that we're told in scripture that God hears our hearts, our prayers. We have the help of the Holy Spirit to even bring clarity and understanding and direction to our words. But like, like, God, God will always do what's best. Do you believe that? Like what we believe about him and know about him matters in our prayer life. It's how we relate to him. And, and when we know that, that he's going to, like, we can leave it in his hands. We can put it in his hands and trust him. And we, we don't have to keep trying to, to beat him down. Like, like we've made this request and now we need to, like, we need to respond as if it's finished. Like we asked. You know, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's me that needs to change, not him. You know, and, and, and that doesn't need to be the nature of our prayers. But for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, this is the, the unrighteous judge, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, and I think Jesus said that because he wants to clearly state that don't ever feel like you're bothering God. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You know what that's saying? That this judge was more concerned about himself than her. And you know what Jesus is saying? That's not the heart of God. If that's the case, why would Jesus ever go to a cross for you? So some thoughts. Is this the relationship we have with our heavenly father in prayer? I'm being a bother. I'm, I'm just continuing to give him the same thing over and over again, hoping to get my way and that I really don't think he cares or knows me. Often it is our poor perception of our father's heart that hinders our prayers. He is not an unrighteous judge. God is not the best version of us. He is so much more. He's so much better. Let's not just like give him those accolades because that's he's so much better and we need to let him out of that box. Our Heavenly Father sees us, knows us, loves us, and hears us. If we are in Christ, the curtain is now torn. We have intimate access. And by the way, we are not widows. We are orphans or orphans, excuse me. We are not widows or orphans in prayer. We, we, are, we are now, we, we have a bridegroom, right? We have a husband and a father. And that's what he wants us to know. And that they are like the pinnacle of ideal in all of their attributes. We are dearly loved children that have the father's ear and heart. Our father never refuses an opportunity with us as we see in that text. Never. Do you know, is that good news this morning that the God of all creation is never going, um, you might need to get back with me next Wednesday, you know, like, and it doesn't matter how many, like he's, that's how big and glorious and great and grand he is. Like, it's amazing. It's, it's awesome. And if this widow got her request, how confident should we be in prayer? Right? Isn't that a kind of a, just, just think about that for a moment. She got her, her request through unrighteous means, right? And we have a father that loves us and wants us close and loves us and wants to give us the, you know what I mean? And like, and then he's given us full access. So how much more should we be confident, not with her approach, but with the approach that we're called to by, by Jesus, by God's design, how much more confident should we be in our prayer? And, and guys, let me, let me be clear, um, People say, well, you just need to have more faith to get what you want, right? And look, if, if, you, if, you, if you're praying for a Lamborghini, right? And, and, and the idea is, well, I just need to have more faith that God's going to give me the Lamborghini. That's not at all what the Bible teaches, 
right? It's it's faith in him. Like our like every time remember when Jesus commends the centurion for his faith? What was he commending him for? What he believed that Jesus could do. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we go, we got to have faith in Him. That's what our faith is. And some, you know what, you know what, genuine, sincere faith in God says, God, I don't know if this is even good for me. I I don't know, but but you know, and I trust you. So I'm asking for this. But if it's not, great. That's what that's what faith in God looks like in prayer. And and Lord, I don't know if the timing is here and now or or later, but. But Lord, I know that you're good and you see my future and my end from my beginning. You know it all. And I trust you because you're that good. And so if you give it, when you give it, great. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in contentment and I'm going to trust you in the midst of perceived lack. Because, I mean, and, and I don't even want to say that. Like, can we edit that? Like, the, the truth is, is like, do we really lack if we're in Christ? Like, um, is it more of a, it, it is a perceived lack. Right? Because really we have everything we need for life and godliness, we're told. So good he is to us. So, so good. When it comes to justice, we can always count on God. That's one of the things that this passage is teaching us. We can always count on him to be just and to be good. Right? It, it might not happen in our timeline and trust ourselves to a faithful creator who judges justly. That means that we leave justice to him when we want to invoke justice out of revenge or other modes and means. Verses 6 and 7 says, And the Lord said, Here's what the unjust judge says. And then he comes back with this contrast. And will not God, like the one that he's come to emulate, to demonstrate, to articulate to us. Like he's come to show us the Father. And will not God give justice to his chosen, to his elect, to his chosen ones, to his children? Like, like it's almost like, come on. I mean, like, we're talking about my father here. Like, I, I just want you to know that he's just, that's, it, justice isn't what he does, it's who he is. Like, you can trust him for justice. Right? And, 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 and always remember this when you're wanting justice for someone else's sin. What if, what if you got that same type of justice? Let's leave room for the wrath of God. Right? Let's, let's, let's leave it to His patient, grace filled, mercy filled, loving posture. And so it says, And will not God give justice to the elect who cry to Him? day and night are you are you crying out to the lord day and night are you know are you in a perpetual like i think one of the marks of maturity is just a a consistent hunger that grows in in the consistency of prayer like do 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 you want to know him more like prayer is 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 the catalyst to that. You know, when when the disciples were asking him to teach them to pray, it was obvious because that 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 was something that was significant and necessary and evident in his life and his relationship with the Father. That's the only thing they wanted. So obviously it's it's critical. And he says, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? And then he answers that very question for us, right? Some thoughts related to six and seven. We must trust the Lord and his timing, right? Like a lot of times we feel like God is delayed. Let's let's talk about one moment where that's actually discussed in the New Testament. You know, it's talking about God's judgment and why he hasn't come to bring down judgment on uh, on the sin and, and, and bring his wrath upon humanity. And we're told that God is patient, that his desire is that none should perish. And that he is, he is patient in, in, in bringing that day because his desire is the hearts to rescue them. And so he, that is delayed, 
right? But it's why is it delayed? It's out of mercy and grace. And his patience is on display. And so can we trust? Let me just ask you a question this morning. Can we trust God for his timing? Can we believe that he's wiser and smarter, more omniscient than we are, that that he has a better perspective? Do you think you would be better equipped for life if you knew everything that was going to happen in front of you? Everything to the detail? You think you'd be better? Well, that's his posture. That's his perspective. And he wants us to rest in that, not have a kind of a, God, can you, can you fix this, please? I'm crying out to you here, Lord. I know you hear me. I know you're good. And then we're over here continuing to walk in anxiety and, and trying to fix it, you know, and, and calling the plumber, you know. Like, like can we, and I got to tell you just from practical experience that I can't, I mean, it's been so many instances, like amazing moments where I just asked the Lord, for wisdom, or I ask the Lord, I, I mean, just in simple things like things that get misplaced or lost. And when you know that he knows where, I'm telling you, like, the thought comes to me immediately. I, it's happened just recently a dozen times. Or he he directs me, like, I mean, like, I, I have no idea where this, we were unpacking the car. Um, we were staying at this place and we were unpacking the car. This was a while ago. And I had just said, oh, I didn't, I, you know, we'd just taken everything out of the car to put in the room. And and I had the key to the car in my hand. So I said, oh, I'll just put it inside my shoe. You ever do this? You're like, you put stuff in a place where you never put it. And then, you know, well, at least at this stage of the game, I'm starting to forget those things. So like, but it's interesting. Like we get in the room and like, and I'm like, honey, I don't know where the key is. I don't have a clue. And I, and of course I haven't said anything to Sheba until I've exhausted all of my, you know, my thoughts and ideas. And, you know, and I can't, for the life of me, I can't figure it out. And then I'm just like, Come on, Colin, this is, this is what you, you, you know that he knows. And so I just, I just paused and I said, Lord, and I'm not joking. Before I could get to like, I was like, Lord, before I could even start the, 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 the ask, it was like, it's in your shoe. And I didn't hear dummy. I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. I honestly didn't. And, um, and so like, that's, but that's our God. Like, like when you ask him, are you believing that like there, you know what I've come to in the last maybe 10 years is that like, I'll hear about someone having surgery and, but I've heard about it after the surgery. Has this ever happened to you? Like you hear about it after, like it, it happened at eight o'clock and now it's 1130, right? And they, they, they're asking for you to pray for them. You know, I am fully convinced that he's not bound by time. And that I can ask God at 1130 for something that that I need at eight o'clock that same morning because he's God. Do you you think he's not pleased when we ask in faith in in what we believe and know about who he is? Like, do we like this is what I'm saying, guys. Do we sell him short in prayer? Like, do we sell him short when we're asking him for for the thing, because you know what it seems like with the centurion, like it's like Jesus was so amazed at his faith because he was asking him to do something that only God could do. And do we do we ask God, like are we asking God for things that God wants us to ask Him for? Because it, only God can do it, and He's able. And do we and are we are we kind of declaring His character and what we know that that Scripture declares and is true about Him when we ask and when we pray? And I, I think it's always interesting that Paul always seems to open up with praise in his prayers and thanksgiving seems to season all of his prayers. And Jesus says when we pray and pray this and gives us this this beautiful prayer, He says, you know, start with our Father in heaven. Oh, holy, 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 hallowed is your name. Do you know what that, that, that means when he says name? He's not talking about Yahweh or El Shaddai. What he's talking about, though those names are depictions of aspects of his character, he's talking about him. Like, you're, what's in a name? You. Like, all that describes you. Like, that's, hallowed is all of you. Your resume, your attributes, you, you're just, you're awesome. Right. And and should not be like what a great way to start to be reminded of who we're getting to talk to his father at the same time. He's he's God. And he's the one that has made this relationship possible. 
He's the one that's inviting us close. Like, how sweet is that? We are God's chosen ones, his children, and he is a good father. We come to him in prayer as a faithful, loving father, our father in heaven. The widow lacked access to the judge. We are invited in. Do you see the contrast that Jesus is trying to help us to understand? We have been given an invitation, not to just him, but like adoption. Like we've been invited into the home, right? Better, into his heart. And he's, he's, he's articulated that. Listen to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. It says this, For we do not have, speaking of Jesus, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He tasted all of it. And yet without sin, but one who is, um, in, who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now listen, listen to what it says. Let us then. Why? Because Christ's blood purchased us close, intimate, tore the veil broke down the divide. Death was was conquered, right? Sin was atoned for. And now there's nothing keeping us from being close. And he says, let us then with what? What does the word say? With confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Like why would he not not just say throne? Isn't it wonderful to know that it's a throne of grace and that that we're, we're told to let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How needy are we? How desperate are we for the help that only God provides? When we live at odds with him, it's just, it, it is death. When we live close to him, then we experience life and peace and joy and hope, all these things that are that are native to him. Later on in chapter 10, verse 19 to 22, we hear this word confidence again. Listen to what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, opened for us through the curtain, just using like temple terminologies to help us understand what Christ has accomplished for us. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. Do we hear that again? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith in him with our hearts sprinkled clean with, with an evil conscience from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's why we can have confidence. Our confidence is in Christ and what he did. And so it's not confidence, well, I'm a son of God, you know. It's because of what Jesus did that I, I'm called to confidence and boldness because isn't that oh yeah, the way that it's, it's saying a, a, a conscience? Like, isn't it saying that I, I'm, I, I believe the cross was enough? I believe his blood shed, purchased me the, the, an audience with God. As father, like it's, it moved me through adoption into son and daughter. Like that's, that's our statement when we pray with that type of confidence and, and perception. We have understanding and advocacy in Jesus. Listen to what 1 John 2, 1 says. My little children, John is talking to uh, his, his disciples, those that he is, his, his spiritual children. He says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Like, do you know that you have an advocate? Because there are times where the enemy, the accuser of the brethren wants to tell you, like call you to shame and guilt, right? Do you know that you have one that sits by the Father's side and says, no, that was paid for. No, my blood covers that. No, he is, he is your advocate, right? He's your perfect high priest, He's the one that, that, that truly bled for your purity, for your ransom and rescue. We have been given intimate access. That, what a privilege. Even, we even have help to pray according to his will in the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 tells us. And if we don't pray, then we are often in the same dilemma as the widow. Does that make sense? Like, I hope that your prayer life isn't like the posture of a widow 
who doesn't understand what, what Christ's blood and cross did to to give us intimate access. And and I, I really hope that the, the fruit of our time together today has really kind of invigorated your desire to, to pray and spend time with the Lord day and night and and to come to him in, in a manner that is that is honoring to his word and to his will and and to who he is. It's so beautiful. And, and finally, in verse eight, it says, I tell you, he will give justice, speaking of his heavenly father, who he knows in oneness, he will give justice to them speedily. Like now, look. Jesus said this. How about we pray with that in our promises, right? In, with that in our faith bank, right? Knowing that, that God is, is just according to his will and according to his methods and, and purpose and plan. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in him on the earth? And why would he say that in the context of talking about the dark days that are coming and then he's talking about prayer, which he believes he's wanting to equip as an antidote to growing weary? Then he says, will he find faith on the earth? You know what he's helping us to understand is the correlation between prayer and faith. Like, is he, is, is, is he going to find folks watchful and prayerful when he returns? Like, trusting God for his promises leaning in like because i believe that prayer is one of the most the most profound statements of our faith and especially like what jesus says in matthew 6 listen your 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 public prayer should absolutely dwarf your private prayer like your private prayer should be you know go into your your closet in, in the secret place and pray to your father that is unseen and the one who sees you will reward you. That's what Jesus says. Like, that's what Jesus says. That's just so good. Finally, I, I want us to hear a few points and this closing verse so the worship team can come. Prayer is one of the greatest statements of faith. Remember who our loving, generous, kind, just, and benevolent Heavenly Father is when you pray and count on his promises. Pray his promises. In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and we need to hear this. And this is the confidence, that's the third time we've heard that, that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Did you hear that this morning? If we ask anything according to his word, his will, his promises, he hears us. And that's a statement of like, he's attentive to that need, to that, to that request. And if we know that, that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That is such a glorious promise. Are you praying in his word and in his will? Are your prayers wrapped up in, because you look at Paul's prayers in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 3 and in other areas, um, his prayers, as he talks about incessant prayer in Romans 1 for the church that he's never met, like it, his prayers are wrapped up in the things that God would want. Seek the Lord in prayer so you don't grow weary and lose heart. That's our challenge today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your clear description of our Father and the way that you have petitioned and uh, and encouraged us to find strength in prayer, to find strength on our knees and in, in your Father's presence. Father, we're so grateful that we can come close, that you have invited us in and near so that we can put our hearts before you, not that we would change you, but that you would change us. Lord, we pray that, that, uh, that you would give us an insatiable desire for your presence and that you would uh, help our hearts to long even more deeply for time with you and that we would carry a, conf- a constant conversation with you throughout the day, each day, we pray in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.